how can an apex being like myself get dicked over by plants? That's what Randy Orton tells himself every summer. <laughs> oh. so, uh, Randy Orton looks into a mirror and goes, oh shit, me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the intro for this episode. <laughs> It is time to tune up the band and wear that rainbow flag with pride for it is another episode of the Sweet Chinwag Podcast. I am Sam, alongside Dan and Reardon as we continue our journey through the wacky world of professional wrestling. Hello there, chaps. How are you doing today? We are officially in pride mode, baby. Full energy. Full energy. I can feel the rays, the colours just flowing over me right now. It's... Uh, oh, you have no idea. It's, it's just. <laughs> I will become more powerful than you ever imagined. I mean, it's... I've. I'll be honest. I have had such a busy week, but it's been so good considering, like, oh yeah, getting over, going over, kind of like what we've been doing with um, being proud. Which, by the way, Dan, you deserve kudos for coming, yeah. like, conceptualizing it and getting it all sorted. You've done a, a fantastic job so far. far. Yes, it's amazing yes, yes. what I can do when I actually apply myself. <laughs> indeed, indeed. For those of you who don't know, on the Sweet Chin Wag YouTube channel, we have a couple of interviews, a series, if you will, yes. of, of, in, of interviews of with, where Dan talks to various LGBT wrestlers about their experiences in the business and as queer folk themselves. So go watch that. Fantastic stuff. Yeah, it's been an absolute... Uh, it's been an absolute joy to get that edited and out for for you and for the world to see. And the pos again, such amazing positive feedback from, from so many people. It's It's been a blast, an absolute blast. Mm -hmm. It makes me feel better about the fact that I'm dying from hay fever right now because I'm getting <laughs> bodied by plants. <laughs> listen, listen. Plants can never be beaten. I'm sunglasses indoors. I'm going to look like an idiot. <laughs> no, you're just going to look like Batista. Or Orange Cassidy. If I don't have tiny sunglasses, I can look like Orange Cassidy. There. Then, there you go. Relax. What's the problem? <laughs> I, still have the fit. I still have the fit from the convention that never happened. It will happen eventually. By God, it will happen. I'm hoping it'll happen soon. I need to see you cosplaying as Orange Cassidy. <laughs> Talking of editing as well, I I do have... I've also been in the midst of all of this and doing being proud. I had a very awesome opportunity fall on my lap. I won't reveal what it is just yet, uh, but these two know what it is, and I cannot wait to share that with people. It's so freaking cool. I am not at liberty to currently discuss what is happening, but I can say it's cool. <laughs> Anyhow, we give you this podcast thanks to those lovely people over at SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and forever pending other platforms. You know, you know what I'm proud of, guys, in this in this time of pride. Mm. I'm proud of us to always always be pending 
forever and ever pending. You can also catch us every Wednesday on Project Dits as well. Always have to get that plug in. Thank you ever so this much. Pod- Dits. This podcast is always pending. Like the answer mm. to the question, what is my sexuality? For yes. pending. Pending. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I feel like we should make that a merch, maybe a merch drop for next Pride. I mean, yeah. I could, I could make the design, and we could get over to what a maneuver right now, going then now forever, forever proud. Yeah, do that. Let's get that merch in. Listen, if rainbow capitalism has to be a thing, I might as well get my cut. <laughs> Unlike some companies, we would actually donate the money. Exactly. Exactly. Oh yeah, that old thing. Fine, we'll donate the money. <laughs> Look, we have to be better than the corporations. Do we do? I mean, we have to be at least one or half a step better than Coca-Cola, Reardon. <laughs> yeah, Listen, but that's not hard. That's not hard in the slightest. <laughs> Coca- <laughs> basic respect for people and their livelihoods. Yeah, yes. We have, okay. we have. <laughs> We have the bare minimum of humanity in us. (laughs) Oh, it's just a shame, isn't it, that I live down the like literally like down the road from the monolithic structure that is Coca-Cola UK headquarters. But you know, I digress. (laughs) Before we get on to this episode, all about LGBTQ plus in professional wrestling, it is time to visit Dan for this week's wrestling news. I'm trying to think of a good pride one. Trying to think of a good one. Hmm. Screw it. I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out next time. Da, 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 da. I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. Speed news. <laughs> it's wrestling news now with added pride. Hey. Just more. Um, just more confetti. Yeah. Yeah. Get that. Yeah, that sounds good. Not glitter. Glitter never cut leaves. It's like um, I was saying to my, I was saying to my friends once that um, someone in a hardcore mat should get out. You know those confetti cannons. Yes. Oh yeah. Just get one of those out and just fire it at someone. <laughs> the ultimate swerve. <laughs> um. So yeah, uh, I'll be I'll be straight up and be honest and say I haven't really had that much opportunity to catch much wrestling this week. <laughs> Same. <laughs> so I'm kind of flying by uh, the seat of my chair. <laughs> but what I can talk about is I can talk about all the discourse I've been seeing, ha- I've been seeing happen in the wrestling world right now. Hey, hooray! Uh, so uh, let's get on to let's get on to one of the big ones, which is obviously uh, NWA's announcement that they will be doing an all women's pay per view, uh, as led by Mickey James. Which uh, was... As we know, uh, this has been her intention for quite a while. She's pitched this to multiple companies, including mm-hmm. when she was at WWE. Yeah. Um, I will hold my reservations about Billy Corgan to the side. Yeah. Because mm. <laughs> um, I can see him being somewhat of a uh, a stickler around this. Mm. Um, somewhat. But... Um, the fact that it's happening is great. I'm happy that someone has put the energy behind Mickey James to do this. Mm. Obviously, she has a big chunk of influence of being married to Nick Aldis, who is arguably the most important person in NWA right now, although that is slowly changing. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like discourse about the NWA World's Heavyweight title is uh, <laughs> a separate topic to this one. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> ever so slightly. But, um, no, I'm, I'm super happy to see it, and I love the idea of the, you know, the women's invitational tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, it opens up so many possibilities, um, especially with the quality of women that NWA do have right now. Obviously, I, well, I say obviously, I presume that they'll be losing Thunder Rosa soon. Mm. Um, with her going full time with AEW, but uh, they've got Camille. Camille's fantastic. Yeah. Um, Lady Frost, um, who I'm so happy that more people are getting eyes on. Um, and a number of veteran women, including Melina as well, um, to really help steer that boat. And yeah, they've got so many ties, like the ties to Mission Pro, which is uh, Thunder Rosa's uh, all women's promotion out of Texas. Yeah. Um, who are helping bring forward uh, a lot of great talent, like uh, Maddie Rinkowski, um was with Mission Pro before going to um, spending time with AEW. Um, supposedly there are still some ties with some people that are doing, you know, multi-promotion work with Impact, like uh, Kimberly. Mm-hmm. I believe Danny Jordan's also linked. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole wealth of talent out there, and let's not forget Japan, obviously. Yep. Which has a, a massive berth of women's talent ready to go at a moment's notice, really, as long as they're not in stardom. <laughs> that much is absolutely true. Speaking of that, though, I mean, I want to, I want to like lightly touching upon that uh, cyber fight uh, festival was. Oh, let's talk about it. Let's it's... talk about it. That's something I've actually seen. What? Partially. What a pay-per-view. That is honestly, at the moment, probably one of my favourite shows, if not my favourite show of the year. Oh, it's running up there for me. Um, As I said to people, there are very few occasions where I love the fact that um, Noah and DDT are owned by the same people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this was one of them. Yep. Uh, this this I I was I, Dan I was messaging Dan as this was happening. I said to him, I think I genuinely might actually get a DDT Universe subscription now. Now the thing is, I say to people though, it's worth doing. Yeah, I mean, I was I was watching the live the live feed as well as just watching clips and uh, and gifs that were going on, and I ended up ma- managing to catch a couple of of, of the matches before they were taken down. Oh, whoops, sorry. <laughs> but no, um, oh, what an event, no, man! Um, the thing you said about uh, DDT or Wrestle Universe, whatever it's called now. Um, one of the things to look out for, as I said, they're currently sitting number two on my promotion of the year list, which is TJPW Tokyo Joshi Princess Wrestling. Yeah, you like, are putting out work. Honestly, every work. TJPW match on that card was three stars and higher. Yeah, minimum. Like the the TJPW like main event, if you want to call it that, is a Whoa. is a is a surefire four and a half star match. Great work by me, either. Great work. <laughs> it was uh, outstanding, outstanding. And dare I say, even Keiji Muto pulled out a moonsault Dude. just for this. The bean kicked in for Keiji Muto. <laughs> <laughs> he was there and was like, you know what? I don't even care. It's moonsault time. I ain't done it in three years. Okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say this much, though. I know a lot of people 
Um, if, even myself included thought it was a bit of a bad move to make uh, Muto uh, GHC heavyweight champion because um, I thought you know Goshiyazaki had a phenomenal year in 2020 um, but I've always been a fan of Marafuji and I thought if anyone was going to probably take that title off of him that wasn't Shiyazaki it was probably going to be Marafuji they put on a good match it wasn't a like a, a five star classic main event but they put on a good match I mean, I'm just happy that it means more people see Marafuji because I think he's great. Yeah, the tag matches as well during that event were were outstanding. Like some of the great tag matches I've seen. Junior Kiyama at 51 can yeah. still go as well, may I add. I will say one of my favorite ones was the match with um, uh, Keno. Yes, that match. That match slapped. Yeah. Oh God, what was the the. The tag match I absolutely loved. Uh, it, no, it was uh, what was it? Um, it wasn't Damnation. Uh, I'm trying to think which one it was. Um, was it uh, Fujita and Sakuraba versus Super Saturango Machine? <laughs> that match. That match was incredible. That match was <laughs> incredible. Oh no, it was the uh, it was uh, Takashita and Ueno uh, versus uh, oh, yeah. Kiyomiya and Inamura, which was that match. Seriously, Yuki Ueno is incredible. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, Yuki Ueno is top tier. He's going to be at the top of uh, DDT's, uh, DDT's list soon. For more information of, of, of us pining over the roster of DDT, check out our guide to DDT Pro. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, great event, and it made me go, you know what? I know it's been a, it's been a, rough, it's been a rough week for wrestling, but sometimes... Man, my love for it can sometimes be really justified. That event really justified my love for pro wrestling. No, absolutely. Oh. <laughs> and, with, and with the good comes the even worse. Dead. <laughs> Alright, we well, don't need to be like that about Triple H. But... Hey! <laughs> uh, let's move on to Triple H's media call talking about that thin thread of women's wrestling. Um... So, I mean, obviously one part of this is that there's the inherent fact that people already knew uh, Evolution was a PR move. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was a PR move that came after the Saudi shows. Hmm. Uh, and uh, Triple H talking about how it's like the best women's wrestlers are in NXT and all of that. Right, that's neither here nor there because he he's a promoter. Absolutely, I mean there is we're, credence to accept, there is credence to what he's that he's coming from a biased source, <laughs> and there is a little bit of credence to what he says. I feel like they, they they've got they have phenomenally good talent, more so than they've ever had. Well, they had in two thousand and two. That's for damn sure. Yeah, <laughs> but again, incredibly biased, and he's coming from a look at me, I'm the promoter kind of viewpoint. Like, he's like he's on a, he's on a media call for an event. Exactly. Like, he's going to be there and say, well, of course I think we have the best women's wrestlers because that's what he's going to do. He's going to big he's gonna <laughs> big his own people up. Exactly. Um, I guess the thing for me is when he's talking about, like, oh, well, they wouldn't, you know, if I booked an all-male show, which, I'll be honest, is kind of just WWE pay-per-view mostly anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um... You know, 
it, it's pretty rare that a women's match makes it on without a title being involved. It, yeah. Um, and so to be, and I mean, again, let's not forget the Saudi shows. Yeah. <laughs> um, and everything like that. But um, the 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 following bit of the. Uh, the discourse around it was kind of just around his attitude to of being like oh well if you don't like it don't watch it which i don't really have an issue with because like i understand where he's coming from mm. but also it seems like a weird thing for a person whose entire job is i want to make people watch this show to say <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was it was a little bit of a weird one i i, I feel like that came more from less of the corporate mind of triple h and more of the the promo cutting Triple H brain of yeah. it's for that. Um, his comments as well of being kind of like, uh, of like people uh, should stop predicting what's going to happen. It's kind of like, I felt like I can understand that as well, but it's like we as wrestling fans since we were kids when we were in the playground have kind of been naturally doing that anyway. <laughs> I bet even him like as a kid was like oh could you imagine if harley race went up against 15 other guys for the nwa world heavyweight championship i feel like it's just kind of, i mean i mean obviously there's an element of again a further discourse that came around which we'll get to <laughs> um but I, I i think part of it is that um it's acknowledging the fact that your show is being watched very closely by people. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know, people are always going to want to be trying to stay one step ahead. <laughs> and like, let, let's let, let's not take away from what NXT have been doing. Oh gosh, no, 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 no. They've um... been putting on. They've been putting on great work. They've been doing their absolute damnedest. Yes, the the feel of the shows hasn't been the same without the crowd. Hmm. Um. And I think with that, it's definitely taken a, a pretty different creative turn. For sure. Um, you know, more so than more so than before. Mm. Um, but like, I would still say, you know, there was a time where NXT was competing to effectively be the A show. Yeah. <laughs> Even though the ratings were you know, staying around steady at that kind of five to six hundred thousand mark. Yeah. No but... in terms of quality and product consistency and especially when it comes to the use and prescience of, of women's wrestling and tag team wrestling, it's steps ahead of uh you know WWE's other promotions and without SmackDown's only really come come along into it since about October, November. Mm. Without a doubt. Um, moving on to further discourse. <laughs> Alistair Black was talking about the inspirations and kind of character quirks of the Alistair Black character and the things that he had in mind creatively for it. Mm. Um, and I don't know. It feels like wrestling fans are the first kind of community I've been in where we've been... They, people have been told additional creative details to show the person put attention into detail for their character that they've been like, we don't care. 
Yeah, I... I mean, I know I'm very much coming from a video game mindset, in which case, like, doing that is, like, video game part and parcel. Mm, like... like, that's breakfast for, for people <laughs> in the video game community to just, like, find out every single piece of information possible. Yeah, it, I mean, it comes from that creative mindset. Like, my, myself and Reardon, I think we can both agree is that... We love knowing about the intricacies and the finer details of, say, a, a plot or an, an arching uh, a character arc or a character's intentions. I mean, Reardon especially, considering he is the DM out of the three of us. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I honestly thought that that was like... Of reading about it and listening to the what he's been doing on stream and the podcasts he's been a part of, I'm genuinely curious as to what he was you know, what he was adding and what he was going to bring to the, the character of Alistair Black. Um, especially loved the, the anecdotes about his, um, about his vignettes when he was uh, returning um, this year and the, like the inspirations behind that. And it's just, I don't know. This is, I said to this before we recorded, sometimes I just, I can't understand the IWC because they're so just goddamn fickle. <laughs> yeah, the... I mean the other because the other side of the discourse was seemingly why aren't you mad that you're not at the, you're not at the company anymore? And he's like going around all like yeah, people at the backstage believe me, they wanted to protect me. Uh, they had ideas for me, it just didn't really work. And it's almost like people are like, why aren't you mad? Because he, it's that thing is what he he said on Rene Paquette's podcast. He lived by the sword, died by the sword. It was his sword. He tried absolutely everything and he can't be mad at himself for not trying and i think that's an admirable trait he tried absolutely everything and then of course you know even when he still gets released he's still he's, he's happy because at least he doesn't go well if i just did this differently or hell if i if i had just done this or if i had just talked to vince more it's like no he did all of that and he still got uh uh, laid off and he's and he's incredibly happy with it so it's like i can't you can't you can't be mad at that that's actually quite admirable yeah i don't know am i the mad one here i, I genuinely because this one i just nah, felt to myself I'm, like I'm, I'm with you on it you can't it's like wrestling fans certain wrestling fans they sometimes they're not happy when you don't reveal much about why you were released but then at the, and, and then on the flip side when you do let them know or like go into finer details about why you were released or what came to it you still get mad mm. this is why yeah. we can't have nice things in professional wrestling <laughs> um i guess the final thing for me in, in this new segment is um just quickly going over to smackdown just to say uh Nice, nice to see. Uh, nice to see WWE taking spots from the indies again. <laughs> Actually, I thought that spot because of the camera angle. I honestly thought they were taking the um, the fr the Fresh Prince of Bel Air spot, where Uncle Phil would throw uh, <laughs> would throw Jesse Jeff out of the door. Because <laughs> that camera angle well, was I, so I similar. Say, I mean. That's perfect. I, I, to be fair, at first I was going to say they're just doing the Mike Awesome spot, but <laughs> in, all fairness, in all fairness, we didn't get to see whether or not uh, Dominic landed directly on his neck through a table. 
I wonder if Matthew will recreate this just like he did with the Ethan Page throwing Darby Allen into the crowd thing. I hope so. Yeah, a model fucking airplane. I hope we get an edit of it where it's like, um, it was like the one for um, Montez, Montez Ford and Cesaro, where Cesaro <laughs> just fucking launched him over the barricade and it just has Dominic Mysterio going into a Super Mario world. Yes. Super Mario 64 world. You can only hope and dream. I can only hope. <laughs> but no, it's been it's been a weird week in terms of the discourse around it, but ultimately I'm very excited for what Alistair Black will do. It or Tommy End I should say will do, because he sounds like he's he's not bogged down by it. And he's, and as a matter of fact, he seems so much more creatively invigorated about where he might go to next and what he'll bring to the table. I'm excited because I loved Tommy End um, back in, uh, you know, back in the day from the days of WXW, the uh, Progress and um, PWG and PWG. Um, so my hope is maybe when the matches start opening up, him and Chris Hero will tag again. <laughs> yeah, we can dream. <laughs> we can certainly dream. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, for myself, looking at a lot of stuff, I think the thing that's really winning it over and just kind of reminding me how crazy the world of wrestling is kind of getting now, mm. which is mm. that... Um, you know, with this week, there's been some huge independent shows going on. Yeah. Um, and so, in, in the theme of this episode, and someone will definitely get, two people will definitely get to talk to you later, uh, back three of them, uh, who all appeared on the show, but um, absolutely massive reception for uh, Effie and Paro's Fear the Gay Agenda show. <sighs> it got trending, which was in- yeah. amazing. I'm so, so happy that Fear the Gay Agenda got trending. Uh, and for anyone that doesn't know it, you'll understand why we put the history of hardcore is conjoined with, uh, <laughs> with our Pride episodes. Yep. Oh, that is so... I'm, I'm looking forward to that next episode for sure. But no, man, Effie put on one hell of a show. Yeah, Effie. I mean, look, Effie has been has been so good in in these in getting these shows organized and and picking out the talent. Like seriously, I think he's gonna have a really good career as a booker and promoter yep. when all is said and done. Yeah, when everything's said and done, him and Faye Jackson are probably gonna be the two biggest independent bookers in the country. Without question, without question, but no. And I mean, just to say as well, Paru, um, especially as the end in NWA, mm. absolutely killing it right now. Absolutely, absolutely. Oh, um, do you have anything you want to talk about, Sam? Um, I mean, apart from the cyber fight, and of course, how much we are all simps for Maki Ito. Of course, mm. of course, <laughs> yeah. of course. I think I think I'm all good for this week's news. What about you, Rita? <laughs> Hashtag Marika gang. Exactly. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, it's time for Rin's Recommendation Corner. Hey. And considering that it is the month of Pride, I have made it my mission to to make it everything LGBT or LGBT adjacent. And who better to recommend from the YouTube world than 
James Stephanie Sterling of the hey. Jimquisition. Hey. Hell yeah. Hell yes. I have been watching them since pretty much the very beginning. Mm. And they have gone from strength to strength. And they're still doing the Stardust gimmick, which blows my mind. Oh, yeah, the Stardust gimmick is still going on, which is hilarious. I love it. I love that gimmick. They have relatively recently come out as uh, genderqueer, I believe, is the closest term. Um, they, they themselves have um, also said trash. <laughs> <laughs> Big mood. <laughs> Big mood. Uh, but they have been a delight from start to finish. And um, I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, but they have all but stopped me from buying video games just due to their commentary. But that just proves how good a commentator and a reporter that they are. And all we can say is what they say, which is thank God for them. <laughs> Absolutely. Great recommendation, by the way. Great recommendation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it is time to get on with this episode all about LGP L LGBTQ plus in professional wrestling. So chaps, I guess the first question I want to kind of like bring up to you is, uh, aside from today's and modern day professional wrestling, which we will get into right at the end as our conclusion, <sighs> What would you say, up until modern day, has been the depiction of LGBTQ plus people in professional wrestling? A disaster. Next question. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, can, I just say, can I just say bad? I'll, I'll trust me. Trust me. It's bad. And, yeah. look, and unfortunately, we're going to have to go uh, over it in this episode. I guess, yeah. I guess the, way I, the way I would say it coming from my perspective is to say it's basically only ever highlighted what people hold to be the bad aspects yes and none of the human aspects <laughs> yeah question so before we get started let's just make this very clear wrestling's very gay oh wrestling yes. is extraordinarily gay and as Effie's merchandise brand would say wrestling is gay wrestling yes. is hell without question the mix of soap opera high drama all whilst doing it in your underpants good god it's gay <laughs> yeah like to quote one of my friends wrestling is wrestling is pseudo drag with violence Yes. Pretty much. Which is why there is an actual I know there is a promotion where which just wrestling drag queens, just to make yeah. that very clear. <laughs> like, listen. Ric Flair's entire shtick is many things. Yep. It ain't straight. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I think wrong. even uh, yeah, and which we will get into. But I think even Ric Flair would kind of admit that. I'm sure he has the well with all to know that. <laughs> even though he's had many a people ride Space Mountain, I think even he, yes, would say, yeah, it was, yeah, Listen. I mean, a guy with platinum blonde hair wearing robes like that, 
pretty gay, wasn't it? <laughs> listen, listen, just because he, he, like, Ric Flair is an absolute bi icon, and I will not hear any talk about it. <laughs> there is no way on God's green earth that there isn't at least one non-binary that has rode Space Mountain. There's no way. I don't believe you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. <laughs> We're going to get on. We're going to, we've split this uh, uh, into four different parts. We're going to talk about the early days of professional wrestling uh, leading up all the way to today. Um, and so we're going to start with part one. Early and some would say problematic days. <laughs> Talking about, I guess you could say, two of the most iconic androgynous, would you say, characters in professional wrestling? Yeah. I would dare. I would go so far as to say androgynous, especially for one of them. Yeah. yeah, actually, I... sorry to cut you off there, but just real quick for our listeners, I do think it'd be prudent for us to put up a content warning of homophobia because that's and transphobia, yeah. probably, Absolutely. just in case. There, Absolutely. so Especially. if you don't, yeah, if you don't want to deal with that. This definitely isn't the episode for you. This, yeah. No, no, especially this part as well, because oh boy. Oh boy. So it's the 1950s. Wrestling is in its absolute zenith in America. I guess you could say the greatest decade, as they say in America, <laughs> which, you know, is debatable, but I digress. Um, one person, Mr. George Raymond Wagner, makes his debut and, well, he becomes the infamous Gorgeous George. A, 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 a very flamboyant wrestler with platinum blonde hair, a valet who would put down a red carpet as he entered the ring before she sprays the ring with Chanel number no. five because, of course, he doesn't want to be seen with the unclean, dirty masses. Uh, <laughs> you know, make it what you will. Uh, and then, of course, he would... Uh, he, was a, he was, for all intents and purposes, a heel. He would do a lot of uh, underhanded tactics that heels would do. He would get the valet to spray uh, his opponents or even indeed the referee with the per the, the, the oversized perfume bottle. Um, like, it, it's, I mean, I went and watched a couple of Gorgeous George's matches and, yeah, the 50s, yeah, people didn't like people that were flamboyant or even androgynous to even, like, I, a tiny I bit. Oh, yeah. what would have given you that impression yeah <laughs> <laughs> just i mean but i i mean i guess george gorgeous george kind of knew what he was doing especially when he would say things like uh, like to to the fans and to the referees get your filthy hands off me or once he would ever he would win a match he would be absolutely pelted with um with like Bits of food, drink. Everyone was trying to get at him, claw at him. Yeah. Uh, but it still, for me, is very problematic that the reasoning as to why people were so angry at him was because he was very, very flamboyant. Yeah. And yet he has... And yet he, this guy is probably one of the single most influential wrestlers of all time and influenced a young Cassius goddamn Clay. Yep. 
Yeah. <laughs> like he, uh, it's crazy, isn't it? Like he he built up all of this character. He was considered one of the first true cowardly villains, where he would be able to cheat at every opportunity. You know, again, that was another thing that really gave Drew heat from the crowd. But it's amazing to know that he sat down with Ali and basically told him, like, you know, the the, the ins and outs of how to kind of not only be charismatic, but get people to to hate you. Uh, Because I think, wasn't it? I think a quote that uh, I believe um, that Super Eyepatch Wolf even touched upon in his wrestling videos uh, a lot of people will pay to see uh, to see you get beaten up. Yep, yep. and it's true. <laughs> so true. How do you uh, think Logan Paul's making money right now? And Jake Paul for that matter. That's the Paul yeah. brothers in general. What? <laughs> <laughs> do we have to bring that? Oh, again, no, no. Again, you guess people you want to pay money to see their asses get beat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> And of course, one of his very famous credos as well was, win if you can, lose if you must, but always cheat. Good, 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 good little, uh, good little credo there. But you know what? All, all intents and purposes, it worked because he became one of the biggest draws the industry had ever known at that time. Like, he was a pop culture icon. He was... Dare I say he was on the same level as as Bob Hope and Lucille Ball at that time, which is crazy to think about. Absolutely, <laughs> crazy to think about. But uh, you know, all that being said, though, George did have legit um, wrestling prowess. He was uh, he was a very accomplished um, amateur wrestler, a very accomplished amateur wrestler. Uh, by the time he uh, ended up becoming uh, training in wrestling, but uh, no, uh, again he has he has staked his claim as um, one of the absolute uh, legends of wrestling. Did uh, but unfortunately did pass away uh, in 1963 at the young age of 48 as well. So he wow he's he he he's flame burned short, but it bl- it burned very bright. I didn't know he died that. I assumed he died in the 80s. That is so young. So, so, so young. Um, oh, my God. It's crazy, because I was looking up, when I was, you know, making my research and looking up Gorgeous George, I was like, wow, was he really only 48? But no, turns out, yeah, crazy. crazy. So I, I'm imagining, because when you hear the story of George and, and Ali meeting, you would have thought George would have been kind of a much more of like an elder statesman kind yeah. of taking him under his wing but no he was he was fairly still young into his career he was still wrestling by the time that Ali came to him yes that, that makes sense it's, it's it's it is crazy absolutely crazy yeah. but moving on with that we go to the I guess you could say the second I guess the second father of, of, of androgyny and flamboyance in professional wrestling and I think a guy who did it a lot longer, still doing it to this day, funnily enough, uh, primarily as a manager. But of course, we got to talk about the UK's very own Adrian Street, exotic Adrian Street. Um, I've, I mean, I've watched matches left, right and centre and I've always been very kind of really, really um, admired the work of Adrian Street. Because not only is he, uh, you know, he was great in the ring, you know, he was absolutely fantastic, had great ring uh, awareness and prowess. But 
he was great at cutting promos as well. Like, he really fully embraced, and even he will say, he fully embraced the androgynous side of fashion and, and makeup and the way he'd, he'd look and just went f- f- at it with full force. And i got to say, man, he made it freaking work. <laughs> because, like, um, uh, he said, and this is his words, the only reason he did it as outrageous and as effeminate as he did was because it was it was pretty much born by an accident. <laughs> like really? he, one day he was just playing up the audience um, one evening, and he just said, "I was getting far more reaction than they ever got just by playing this." My apologies for the words, but this was his direct quote: "Poof." Mm. My costume started getting wilder. And then, of course, he would end up bleaching his hair. He would be making, wearing more weight, uh, makeup. And I said he would double down on it more. And more and more, he was getting more and more heat and attention from this. Again, yeah. I just, yeah, it's still, like, even though I say all this and even though I feel like, you know, Adrian Street, great wrestler, still really problematic. Yeah, still very much problematic. Yeah, very problematic. Just so, so problematic. I mean... Credit where credit's due to Adrian Street, he did come out to Imagine What I Could Do To You as his entrance music, and he would mouth it as well, mime it as he was entering the ring. I was like, you know what? Mm. You, that's actually ingenious. (laughs) That's actually ingenious. He also, I believe, came out to Sweet Transvestite with a broken nose as well. He did. He did. (laughs) Now, can we just um, establish, just for for my own um, knowledge and for the listeners... Both these guys, both Exotic and Gorgeous George, they were straight from our understanding, correct? Correct. Okay. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, or as far as I'm aware, as far as, yeah. as as well as far as I'm aware, I believe that um, Adrian Street, who is eighty years old this year, oh, Jesus Christ, still making, believe it or not, fun fact, still making ring gear. So occasionally training and being a manager actually made the ring gear for dude love when he came back in 1998 oh wow yeah so not only legendary wrestler not a bad uh, gear maker as well <laughs> but no it's it's crazy when you look into adrian street's history and consider the names that he's been uh, the names and the places he's wrestled he's wrestled Gosh, he's wrestled in the UK, he's wrestled in America, Germany, Canada, Mexico, uh, Japan. Uh, matter of fact, he he, uh, he ended up teaming with Bill Dundee and Todd Morton against a young Masahiro Chono. <laughs> wow. um, it's, it's, it's crazy. He, uh, <clears throat> for all intents and purposes, as I said, his gimmick incredibly problematic it was cheap heat at a time when that it was pretty easy to get cheap heat for doing that but he has laid his claim uh, as being a legend in the uk scene for cert for sure for sure okay with all that being said i also do want to touch a little bit of course uh before we move on to kendo nakazaki who is an absolute world of sport legend but at the time uh, of course, he wasn't. He did not come out at the time because, of course, if he had had, um, he would never have been able to work in the 
in the British scene ever again. I think he was told that he just, he would never be able to work. I feel so. Uh, y- you know what? Uh, I'm just gonna. I'm gonna look something up. You continue. So yeah, um, Peter Thornley, as as everyone knows, the man under the mask. I've actually ended up re- reading his um his autobiography, which is a really good read as well. But um, no, I mean. When you think, when I think of world of sport, when you think of certain people, you think of Kendo Nakazaki, and then by the off shot, you think of that Soccer AM skit where they have the two guys in the Kendo Nakazaki uniform going, Eze, Eze. Do you want to do a quick Pokedex for what Soccer AM is for our listeners that are oh, in the UK? dear Lord. Okay. Yeah, I didn't even <laughs> consider that I one. Can I can do it for you. Yeah, please, please. By all means, the, the Pokedex is yours. Uh, Pokedex, Soccer AM, uh, an early Saturday morning TV show that was centered around uh, soccer, brackets, football in the UK, uh, and was basically just like the equivalent of like a Imagine like a late night sketch show, but it's in the morning and it's purely about football and it's designed for lads, lads, lads. Oh God. It really was designed for lads, lads, lads. It is one of the most lads, lads, lads shows ever designed, which always means right. It is one of those shows, but I loved it growing up. (laughs) I still it all the time. No, it was a very good show. I've always, although for something so lads, 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 I've always been like, who decided to make it soccer AM? That's what I've always been interested mm. in. Because it, it used to be on before the uh, the lunchtime game. Ah, that and makes if you sense. Finish watching soccer. Soccer AM would start at ten, and they would immediately go straight to the, the uh... like something like an hour or something long. Then you get like a little bit in the middle, and then it would go on to the the twelve o'clock game. Don't know why yeah. they called it soccer AM, but you know. Yeah, who knows? I guess knows? make it more marketable to uh, yes. other markets. This, this is such a this is such a niche British thing. How yeah. is that? I don't get it. But anyway, we're we're off traffic. We're getting off traffic here. <laughs> before we yes yes before we get off track and have the whole episode talk about soccer AM. Um, yeah, before we get on to the second part, I also want to briefly touch upon the 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 amazing amazing offshoot world of Lucha Libre known as Exoticos. <laughs> so if no one knows what an Exotico is, they are basically, uh, for all intents and purposes, and from the description on Wikipedia, I know I do my research very well, an Exotico is a luchador fighting slash performing in drag. It's basically, it's been kind of a concept since the 1940s, where it's kind of where luchadors would be often very campy, silly, seldom dignified, I guess you could say. But they were just kind of vibrant. I've always, when I've always seen Exoticos, they were just pure and utterly vibrant. Yeah. Um, but there has always been, like, I've always, se- they've always seemed to be more ambiguous than they have been, you know, straight outwardly, you know, oh, look were yeah. gay part of it is always kind of been well there's there's kind of two sides to it there's one which is kind of you know playing up the feminine side of it and you know playing this very kind of campy character mm. yeah almost like you know a 
cabaret in the UK. I don't know if there's like an equivalent in the US other than like, you know, drag. Mm. Um, but also as time went on, it kind of became a sort of safe space. Yeah. Actually gay wrestlers. Mm. Again, like the, the, the ruling on that is kind of indeterminate. But <laughs> yeah. But uh, the reason I wanted to lightly touch upon it is because uh, I was, I, I mean, I was talking before we were recording with the guys, we were chatting about it and it was something that I didn't research too much on because it, because Exoticos and the world of, of Exoticos in Lucha Libro deserves a whole episode on its own. Yeah. And so I will slightly give a wink, wink and a nudge, nudge to the listener going, Expect an episode on Exoticos in the not-so-distant future. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Nudge, nudge. Wink, wink. <laughs> okay, so we move on to part two. And obviously, if we were going to talk about LGBTQ plus in wrestling, we have to talk about quite possibly one of the most famous, or if indeed you will, infamous people, uh, wrestlers in modern times. And that is Goldust. Another, a, another straight man, I think. Yes, 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 indeed. So in 1995, uh, Dustin Ronalds leaves, uh, Dustin Rhodes as well, Dustin Ronalds leaves WCW, or is it subsequently fired uh, after he had bladed yeah. during the, uh, what was it? The uh, the King of the Road match. That was what it was called. Something like that. And then, yeah, he, he got fired for blading in that during that match. And then he saw employment in WWF. And after a couple of um, different um, concept changes here, there, and everywhere, as a matter of fact, he was actually going to be an Egyptian pharaoh at one point, would you believe? <laughs> if the concept is art that, is anything is to go better, by... Is that better or worse than I have Gold no Dust? idea. I, mm, I, I prefer what we got. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. We got the bizarre one, Gold Dust, a somewhat spooky, mysterious and sexually suggestive character. Oh. Okay. It's difficult to try and quantify what gold dust is, and I feel like it's easy to say what gold dust isn't. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's... I feel for what it was at the beginning is that he was... He was almost kind of a pastiche or an amalgamation of... 40s and 50s Hollywood starlets. And that's the way they looked like they were taking him with it. Like, especially with his kind of, like, um, overall aesthetic and the way he would actually quote um, very famous actresses and their um, and their lines in his promos. Uh, the famous one being, I'm ready for my close-up. Um, mm. But the more and more, you know we got to spend time with gold dust as we were getting more and more into 95 and of course leading up to uh, wrestlemania 12 the 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 implied nature of his sexuality was played up to i'd say a horrible effect may i add in the new generation <laughs> yeah it's like oh my god He's gay. Oh no! Yeah, no, he he's was not. Kind of like very much like that nineties thing of just being like, 
So basically, we can't tell you that this character is meant to be gay. Mm-hmm. But what we can do is we can give you every single piece of possible information to possibly suggest to you that might be the case. Yeah. 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 I remember at this time, I think it was, yeah, Dustin had um, admitted that the first few months and the way it was ramping up, he was very uncomfortable with it as it didn't match. It didn't match his personality as well as it didn't match what they were going to go with originally. But he just decided, you know what, just screw it. I'll just get what I'm given and I'll run with it and we'll see what happens. Um... Of course, we talk about his rivalry with Razor Ramon, which is, again, all of that implication was there. Also, as well, they implied that he was a stalker uh, to Razor Ramon. In all fairness, though, WWE goes back to that storyline every so often. Uh, Mickey James, DDP. Uh, <laughs> Sonia Deville. <laughs> <Sonya> Deville. <laughs> and, of course, this was, late, this was um, all to lead up to a WrestleMania match. Uh, with uh, Razor Ramon. Of course, by that time, Scott Hall had left and gone to w- uh, WCW and so was replaced by Roddy Piper in a Hollywood backlot brawl, which, if you remember, not only did Roddy Piper square up, properly punch him right on the forehead twice and broke his hand, Roddy. not only did he run... Not only did Goldust run over Roddy Piper, yeah. but they also did a chase scene using footage from the O.J. Simpson chase. I feel like that's one of my favourite pieces of information about this. Because uh... let's be let, let's let's set the context for people here, right? The O.J. trial was one of the biggest landmark pieces in American news media. Yep. yep. So it wasn't like people were going to forget <laughs> footage. <laughs> Of the, I believe, Ford Bronco. Yes. Escaping from police. <laughs> yes. Uh, and that wasn't the worst part. I think the worst part was at the end where uh, Piper strips gold dust out of his bodysuit to reveal... Uh, to reveal Dustin wearing a bra and thong underneath his ring attire. <laughs> Guess who approved it? Oh, yeah, Vince, of course, proved that. Fuck. <laughs> It was Dustin's idea, but he Vince approved of it. Because of course he did. I mean, Vince heard, like, for one second, he was like, ah, this could be funny. <laughs> but I would go more and more into uh, Gold Dust. But as again, well, this I is... think, I think can, we, can we mention the... Some say apo- apocryphal, some say true... <laughs> Go on. Which is that uh, allegedly, if this has ever actually been confirmed, I don't know that it's ever actually been confirmed. Obviously, we'll mention it in more specific detail, but that at one point <laughs> it was either pitched by Dustin or it was pitched for the Gold Dust character for them to genuinely have breast implants. Yes. Wow. Yep. Wow. Like that um, was an idea that was pitched. So, um, you know, I should actually, I should actually put this out out there, just to make put cards on the table here. As much as like we have talked about, like how utterly 
the implications of of this gimmick well for one thing could only survive in the attitude era frankly <laughs> true and and despite how uncomfortable it was i must say two things for the record one he was one of my favorite wrestlers growing up yeah straight up one of my i loved him i loved gold dust so much i've mentioned this before but i want to make that clear and two coming out as openly bisexual now i love him even more yeah <laughs> just i don't know what it is but everything about him says yeah i i would do this and and speaking as being along like going back to our um going back to my recommendation corner the fact that a genderqueer person has basically gone for well well more pastiche of of the other the other one the brother but mm. still gold up essentially yep. proves that there's there is something about this damn there's something about this character which is so relatable to some people yep absolutely I think and that... i don't and what that says about me i don't think we could get into <laughs> honestly i feel that's a try and testament to to the man himself dustin rhodes made it work and then some to the point now Absolutely. where it's 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 become such a legendary part of his career oh yeah uh no credit where credit's due as i said we would go on a little bit more but i'm gonna slyly hint and suggest that we may be getting into more of this in the next couple of weeks so stay tuned to the podcast <laughs> that's for darn sure now we get to our third part, the turn of the century, and oh, good God, it's worse. <sighs> it's so much worse, because now we have you to talk... the Attitude Era was bad. It uh, was ruthless aggression. Ruthless aggression. And two names, oh, Billy God. and Chuck. Now, we want to clarify before this. Rin, you've never heard of Billy and Chuck. None in my entire life. Have you heard of Billy Gunn? Yes... Have you heard of Chuck Palumbo? Yes. Okay, well, there's your first two pieces of contextual information. Oh, no. <laughs> so after the end of the invasion angle, Billy Gunn and Chuck Palumbo were teamed together in a kind of rather innocuous tag team. They were kind of just teamed together after all of was said and done and then started g gaining waves. And then in comes Rico Constantino, which, by the way, oh, that was going to be that was going to be one of my questions for you, which was what is what was Rico's surname? <laughs> Rico at that time was actually quite a uh, quite an established act in OVW. Actually, had the I believe at one point uh, had the world championship as well. Was considered one of the uh, best uh, wrestlers in OVW. Probably. I mean, the OVW championship has a, a lineage. <laughs> it it doesn't then so. <laughs> But no, Rico came up to the main roster as the manager for Billy and Chuck and was uh, quite an effeminate, uh, effeminate man, a fashionista. Excuse me, as a... I was going to say, excuse me, he was there. He was there. He was most certainly there. No, no, well, he, he was their hairstylist. Oh, hairstylist, that's the one. That's the one. Uh, because the, if memory serves me correct, as the hairstylist, he was the one that bleached Chuck Palumbo's hair blonde to match Billy. 
Yep. Um, he at that time he had he still kept it long, but they, it wasn't long before he, he he cut it to the same length as Billy. They both came out wearing bandanas, saying proclaiming their names, just in case you wanted to know which one was Billy, which one was Chuck. Of course, they came out to one of the greatest theme songs of all time, "You Look So Good to Me." And all of this, of course, culminated in the civil partnership between Billy and Chuck. Fun fact, they actually got Glad in to help them write out this storyline uh, to make sure that they were going the right way and they were doing it in the right sort of tone. Um, and of course, we get over oh. to the civil partnership and they absolutely sandbag it with Billy going, oh, I, I just want to tell you something for a matter of fact. We're not gay or anything. To which they get beaten up by three minute warning. Which, as you'll see in this part, it's kind of a common theme. So. So, let me get this straight. Huh. They get put together. Oh, fuck. So fuck. <laughs> fuck. Oh, I'm, I'm so angry with myself for saying it now. <laughs> I'm so angry. Okay. Let me make. So, let me make this clear for myself. <laughs> Go they get together as a tag team. They do become yeah. tag champions at one point. I forgot to mention that. Okay. They decide to have a civil partnership. Mm-hmm. They get Glad in to make yeah. sure that they dot their I's and cross their T's. Which I will follow up on after this. And at the moment of truth, they literally go no homo. Yep. Is Wow, and then they get so, beaten up. Okay. So yes, they did get glad in, but there is there is an important point to be made here, mm. which I have courtesy of the amazing philosophy SmackDown, <laughs> uh, by Douglas Edwards, of which uh, Scott Soman of Glad in two thousand two said, and I quote. The WWE lied to us two months ago when they promised Billy and Chuck would come out and wed on the air. In fact, I was told, brackets, lied to, close brackets, the day after the show was taped in Minneapolis that the wedding took place and all was well. Oh, boy. So they com- they said to Glad that they were committed to following through on it and then backed out. Now, if memory serves me correct, I believe that Glad took WWE to court and it was an out-of-court settlement um, that, uh, uh, that, that was the, that was the result of that. doesn't include that information in here. But I, I, I believe I've heard that. I believe that may have happened, but no. Um, so oh. yeah, they Glad wow. believed that the storyline was going to be that Billy and Chuck would get married on air, but WWE backed out of it. What a-holes, right? That is so much worse. Yeah. Holy shit. That's why I named this part, oh God, it's so much worse. Yeah, I'm <laughs> honestly shocked. I'm honestly sitting here mouth agape. This is 2002, by the way. Yep. Uh, yep. So then it's obviously worth remembering as well that Vince then addressed the controversy. In his own special way, like Vince does. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and basically amounted to 
the he thought the controversy was about them showing a gay wedding and not about the fact that it didn't take place or the fact that it was basically said like oh no they were never gay anyway I'm the person to qualify to qualify this but would you say that that pretty much patently counts as baiting right yeah that is literal that's quite literal baiting you know one of the they literally baited <laughs> one of the most weird points in all this is that they looks it looks like they put more effort in the prosthetics for Eric Bischoff, because Eric Bischoff was revealed to be the one uh, officiating uh, the partnership, uh, but he was in an old he was in old man prosthetics. Right. Okay, I mean, I was going to say the Godfather, but oh, that's true as well. That's true. <laughs> but yeah, it's oh my god, yeah. And by this time, may I add, come two thousand and two, oh man, on the other side in TNA, oh. Boy, were they well, just as bad. Well, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, you know what? That actually, that, this is a point. I'll save to the end. I'll save to the end. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about uh, quickly talk about the Rainbow Express, the team of Lenny Lane and his boyfriend Bruce, because as everyone knows in America, Bruce is the most effeminate name in all of existence. Australian <laughs> shaking right now. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere, Josh Robertson's going. What? Wait, what? <laughs> We love you, there's Josh. A, there's, a, there's a bunch of fifty-year-old Australian men that are just like, "What the hell is going on right now?" Yeah. So, yeah. On the other hand, on the other hand, Springsteen is perfectly fine. Exactly. Makes you wonder, isn't it? Oh, fun fact mm. about the name Bruce. Of course, if anyone remembers the TV, that the Incredible Hulk TV series, they changed Bruce's name to David because, and I quote, "Bruce Bruce is a gay name." Yes. <laughs> Yeah, that is literally why it is. That is literally why it was changed to David. <laughs> but no, the Rainbow Express doled out in bright blue with rainbow stripes, red boots, bleach blonde hair. Uh, both were wearing... I mean, I remember the first episode, uh, I think it was Lenny Lane, was wearing booty shorts and an off-cut T-shirt with, uh, with, with, with for some reason, Juventud Guerrera's furry hat and sunglasses. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah... And they were course were heels. Yeah, it's a it's a thing I'm gonna get to at the end. <laughs> um, of course they were the heel. Oh, gone. Yes. <laughs> um, because I've already forgotten the name of them. What was the name of that team that we watched in ROH when we were doing the thing with Apron Bump? <laughs> oh, the Christopher Street Connection. Christopher Street Connection <laughs> came out to YMCA and were beaten up. So it's a YMCA. They, they, they came out. They came out in tie dye and 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 YMCA, <sighs> and were very were presented as being. Um, I'm throwing in air quotes here because every single report about them only ever uses air quotes to describe this. They were gay, <laughs> and that was basically their entire character. Yes. A very hypersexualized perception of being gay. <laughs> it's weird. Like in our in ROH, they had that, but then they had the very. I feel like for the Rainbow Express, they had the very. What's the word? The comical. I would dare say, even like caricatured uh, depiction yeah. of what gay people are. I mean, you can definitely tell that this is Vince Russo writing this. Oh. <laughs> 
I'd be like, this is just the most Vince Russo thing possible. <laughs> of course, fun fact about the Rainbow Express, they were the team that AJ Styles and Jerry Lynn be- uh, beat in the third or se- second or third episode to win the NWA tag team titles. Uh, thus is the history of, of the Rainbow Express. Of course, if I'm talking about this time of the Ruthless Aggression era, I can't help but see what Raw was doing. To boost ratings, they decided to get in the lesbians. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I don't even know what's more offensive about this. The fact that they thought that that was the key to their ratings, or they just had a team of two women that were just local wrestlers that they literally just called the lesbians. Like, no, seriously, Rid, and their name bar in their entrance was they literally, literally their was. Their name bar just says the, the lesbians. lesbians. Well, I thought, I, I was like, I was, I was scared to ask, frankly. <laughs> and so, of course, they do what everyone, everyone thinks lesbians do. They make out, they take each other's clothes off down to their bra and panties, and then they get beaten up by three minute warning. So, you know. <laughs> like was, every gay person with, does. What was it with three minute warning? <laughs> Did Rosie Jamal have a? Did the Anawaii family have a problem with LGBT I'm people? Just wondering, like, what the what the prerogative here? Because it's just Eric Bischoff beating up LGBT people by virtue of three minute warning. <laughs> I, I don't want to know. <laughs> I don't even. The, those questions lead to very bad answers. Then no, like now I've actually deeped it. I'm even more confused. Same. <laughs> Because it was always Eric Bischoff in three minute one. It was! No, it seriously was right. <laughs> and that's the stupidest thing. Oh, man. All right, all right. A couple. I'll do a quick fire one of some of the people around this time. Rico, of course, would end up forming a, a tag team with Charlie Haas. A very successful tag team, actually, because they did yeah. become tag team champions. And honestly, Rico ended up getting advice from Adrian Street, funnily enough. Uh, sat him down and gave him kind of like the 411 and how to kind of be, be a little bit more effeminate, you know, how to kind of look, dress, and maybe even do promo work. I really liked Rico. I, at that time, I really liked that tag team with Charlie Haas and Rico. It was a very odd couple kind of pairing. Um, but it was one that... that, that time, at that time, Charlie Haas would have just come off the world's greatest tag team. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and Shelton Benjamin just got drafted to Raw and was beaten yeah. Triple H. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, great little tag team. Of course, Rico would go on to be a, a police officer for the Las Vegas Police Department. So good on him. Hell <laughs> But also terrifying. <laughs> it's true. Uh, I, I didn't want to bring this up, but Mickey James, her first initial run yeah. in WWE. Yeah. To be honest, I was going to bring it up. <laughs> Because everyone God. knows that lesbians are also stalkers. It's so... The more things change, the more they stay the same. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's really quite sad and kind of weird that that's a part... That's, like, a huge part of her history. Yeah. Like, that, like the worst part about the Mickey James, like, lesbian thing is that... You can't like ignore it because that was part of one part of straight up part of her damn appeal. And two, that was when she was at the top of her game wrestling wise. Mm. That's what makes it so bad. Is that Mickey James 
To be honest, actually, that's actually slightly harsh of me because I don't think Mickey James has ever actually lost no, it. No, never has. To be quite, to be quite frank, but no, like then, you're like when you're at the peak of her wrestling abilities, I maybe would have said closer towards like 2008, but. Mm. Yeah, but you know what I you guys know what I mean. Oh this no no, is, this, absolutely. Yeah. This is like Mickey James showing the world how good she is. It just happens to be that Well, I feel it ties very closely into the whole conception of what the women's division was at the time. Yeah. It's it's it just sucks. <sighs> It just it really fun sucks. fact. I, I know most people will know this fun fact, but the original intention of that storyline was for Mickey James to be enamored with Lita, not Trish. But of course, Lita ended up, I think, getting injured again. I believe. Uh, I would imagine so. She had quite a few injury issues around roughly that time of what well, this would have been what two thousand five six. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's. Can I also just say that sounds like the the plot to a weird Hallmark movie? It really does. A country girl and an inner city rock chick <laughs> meet each other. Know, One's a country the girl, the other is a punk. Of love because Mickey James, I don't know, starts doing carpentry or something. We'll get Joe from Hallmark. We'll get Joe from Damn It Vince over. <laughs> Yes. I say, it, can't be, it can't be a Hallmark movie though because it's two women in a movie together. So. Oh gosh, yeah. Oh, dang it. <laughs> the new, the new generation of Hallmark movies. Exactly, exactly. Uh, before the last one, I want to talk about in this part, especially, is Chris Canyon. And it's the unfortunate, a uh, kind of unfortunate. Um, the unfortunate end of 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 Chris because unfortunately. Um, uh, he did pass away in 2011. The poor guy was suffering from uh, had suffered from bipolar disorder for a very, very long time. Um, but he was he was a closeted gay man when he was in WWE, um, and it was in fact kind of documented quite well. Uh, Canyon was working on a book called uh, Wrestling Reality, where he talked about his struggles as a closeted gay man. Um, the guy uh, here's the thing. Canyon, even though you could tell like Chris Canyon was never going to be, you know, WWE champion, I always thought of Chris Canyon as a very reliable worker. With actually, honestly, was one of the kind of big draws in the invasion. Like he got over for being a complete and utter silly idiot, and you could tell that he was. I, I you, if they put more effort into him, I reckon he probably would have been one of the very few people with it after the invasion that would have done well. In WWE, uh, WWE. I mean, we, we can we can be there and say that certainly in his time in later WCW, Canyon was way ahead of the curve. Oh, absolutely, and then some. Way, way, way ahead of the curve. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, it's just an an absolute shame, and I feel like one that should always be in the conversation. If you ever talk about LGBT wrestlers. Chris Canyon always has to come up because that dude was not only he was good he was you know he was tall jacked you know great on the mic being silly as well but um yeah he definitely yeah, does think, come up I think the thing for me that always gets get, always gets me about it is the fact that where when he did first try and like publicly come out he was kind of like oh no it's just a gimmick 
Yeah, mm. I'm just in character. And then afterwards, after the, the the book had come out after his writing of it, and then like actually you know, he was actually gay. He just never felt like he was in a place where he could be open about it. Yeah, mm. just it it sucks, man. It just really, really sucks. Um, but no, rest in peace, Canyon. You're bloody awesome. Even that Positively Canyon st- uh, stint in 2000 WCW was quite good. <laughs> he was the one that was in the, the Judy Bagwell on a pole match, so he's got, he has got he does yeah. stake his place in professional wrestling history. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Alrighty. Actually, one special mention, I should say, something we said before recording. Of course... Oh gosh, I have to say this. Orlando Jordan. Orlando Jordan. I have very, very mixed feelings about Orlando Jordan. <laughs> I, 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 the reason I'm so I'm I'm, I'm ignoring is because um, Orlando Jordan. I think he's run as US champion. The whole cabinet thing was really cool. He, that 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 whole that whole run was great. Um, and of course, at the time when he was in. Uh, WWE, he had um, pitched to Vince um, a character change about him being openly bisexual. And something that he wasn't able to do, hence kind of why he was, uh, he had left the WWE at that time. Um, But apparently a a lot of reports say it was that. A lot of reports are saying that, you know, he was bringing unauthorized people backstage with him as well. So I'd say a combination of both would do that to you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so he was able to take his gimmick that he wanted to do in WWE and use it in TNA. Under the guidance of one Vince Russo. Yes. I believe anyway. I believe this was a Russo. Poly- a, poly- a polyamorous bisexual wrestler who would come to the ring with a shake weight. Because if, as everyone knows, the a shake weight is the... It is the true and tested exercise machine for bisexuals. Because <laughs> get it? It looks like he's doing something. I was going to say, I mean, in terms of exercise equipment, it is certainly the most sexual. <laughs> but that really shouldn't be our object of focus here. Uh, it should, I, I, I mean, the thing I was going to bring up is that his whole gimmick, especially when he would make his entrance in vignettes, was he was Orlando Jordan and he had a boyfriend and a girlfriend. Oh my god! <laughs> and he, his gear at one point literally was a police warning tape, just taped all over him. I, I, I don't know whether I should love it or I not. Think the thing with this, though, is that as much as they try to do the whole like, oh, he's polyamorous, it was more. He is technically polyamorous, but it verges more on. Oh no! Sexual harassment more than anything else. Yeah, especially to one Rob Terry, if memory serves me correct. Fucking Rob Terry! Thanks for reminding me about Rob Terry. All I say is to remind myself about Rob Terry anyway. But yes, yes. The only thing I remember about that angle was when he suggestively put moisturizer all over himself. Sorry, no, spurted moisturizer all over himself. Yeah. Oh yeah, that happened. <laughs> but he was still heel. Wrestling in 2010? Jesus Christ, it was 2010? Yep. 
That is life, indeed. <laughs> the more things change, the more they stay the same. Oh, thank God we get to our final part and we get to be positive. Finally, we talked to today. And oh my God, would you agree that the perception and mood has changed so freaking much? The term sea change comes to mind because holy shit. Like, oh my God. God, it's so much better. So much freaking better. And if anything, what I really love and appreciate is that finally, it's not their main fucking gimmick. Their gimmick is what they want to be. Their sexuality is a part of them, not the main contributing factor of them. That's always kind of the thing when people say about, like, the way wrestling has changed. And, like, now you actually, now you can actually be a rounded character. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I guess when we talk about modern day, I mean, we've got to bring up the, the person, I guess, who would, I, I would dare say would be the the trailblazer, the one that kind of, uh, the most high-profile one, but the one that really paved the way, and that was uh, Mr. Fred Rosser, formerly mm. known as Darren Young. Yes. Um, when he was when he was still contracted uh, to the WWE, he came out uh, as uh, as a gay man, and um, not only that, but you know he had the full backing and support of of the company. Um, if perception on WWE com dot uh, com is, uh, is is <laughs> leads you to believe, but no, yeah. if, from that he became you know tag champions uh, with the prime time players with Titus O'Neil. And then, of course, he had that really good run with Bob Backlund as well, with Make Darren Young Great Again, which I don't, which is, hmm, which is interesting. Uh, but, you know, team with Bob Backlund's or I've, I've found is always to be quite a laugh for people. But no, what I really appreciate is that they, I'm glad that they didn't double down on, on Fred being gay and made that his one gimmick. Yeah. They just kept Fred Rosser or Darren Young being Darren Young. Um, and yeah man just like and i think that was when you saw people's perceptions especially in the wrestling world change i don't know about you guys for me i was like when they when darren young came out and and then like they not only did they not change him but they actually um gave him the tag titles as well it's like wow wow yeah, they're really think, doing this yeah the thing for me that was so important about that was that I don't want to say it, it's, it wasn't like it wasn't seen as any kind of revelation or anything, mm. but it was like the the way with the way it was handled, it was like okay, this is the case now. We'll be going on as things were. Mm. Like it, it didn't become a thing that was like okay, you like you said, it wasn't like all of a sudden they were like okay, we have to double down this now. Your gimmick is now being gay. Yeah. Yeah. Which was like, always no, the biggest person. You're yeah. still this. You're still gonna go on and do as as is the plan. Exactly. And uh, I mean, I, I you know what? Even though he was released back in, I think it was 2019, correct? Uh, yes. Um, I think he's got. Oh, I think he's gone on to be. Actually, no. 
It was 2017, if I remember, because I remember him yeah. making an appearance in Chikara in 2018. It was 2017. Sorry, I what you said initially. <laughs> but no, after that, he's gone from strength to strength, I've, I have felt. Like, he's not Absolutely. only has he made a career for himself, he's now... I dare say he's one of the top names in New Japan's American uh, branch. He's certainly one of the top names that's been on NWA. Absolutely. And he, I mean, he had a, he won... 2020 New Japan Strong Match of the Year with Tom Lawler, which was, which by the way is a fantastic, a match. fantastic match, so freaking good. Um, and you, uh, more people you probably know, asking we, why are we, why are we being so kind of doubling down on Fred Rosser? Well, <laughs> nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Yeah, maybe you'll hear more from Fred Rosser in the near future on our YouTube channel. Perhaps, maybe <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Hint, hint. <laughs> hint, hint. But no, chaps, I'm going to open the floor to you. Who are, at the moment would you say are some of your favourite wrestlers um, that are in the LGBTQ plus community? I mean, like, it, I think the, the sea change I realise is when, is when I realised I woke up one day and it was like, oh, yeah, the person considered the greatest wrestler alive is LGBT <laughs> Kenny Omega. Yeah. So, so yeah. it's kind of like, yeah, what can you say? The man considered literally the greatest wrestler in modern, in of the 21st century is bisexual. What can you say? I mean, um, as I said to other people, I think there's a lot that can be said for the Golden Lovers storyline. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, perceptions of LGBTQ plus wrestlers, um, at least in the independent scene, um, and I, I guess in Japan as well. Mm. Um, I'm not the person to speak on the nature of <laughs> being gay in Japan or being part of the LGBT mm. plus community in Japan. Although I can say, at least in in some aspects, Japan is the Jap or the Japanese wrestling world is advancing beyond the US and the UK. Yes, let's mm. uh, let us never forget Razor Ramon Hart Gay. Well to be fair <laughs> to be fair it does follow that it does follow that checkered track record. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um but yeah, so I, uh, there, there's a lot that can be said for it about from aspects of how it ran across ten years. Yeah. Across multiple promotions. Um and about about how it was never about them being in a relationship. It was just about the two of them going through their wrestling journey together. Yeah. Mm. Like that like it wasn't like the payoff was that, you know, they were getting married in a segment. <laughs> and then and then kiboshing the whole thing as they get to the I do's, yeah. You know, the, the Yeah, as you do. The, the, pay, the payoff to it was each of them seeing each other realise their big achievement. Mm. Can't wait for the third act, can you, Dan? <laughs> It'd be absolutely incredible. <laughs> um yeah, Dan, um some of your favourite LGBT wrestlers today uh well for once we've actually got time so i can go over a pretty comprehensive list <laughs> same same <laughs> um, so obviously i have to start with 
one of my well one of the big ones that i've come on to i say relatively recently but i've seen some of his stuff before jake atlas oh jake atlas the the man in nxt who i am so happy that nxt picked him up even Same. off the small amount of footage i saw from him in um the california independence and mm. also pwg yeah oh, he's um, he, under a criminally underrated at the moment i'd say yeah i feel like it's very much a case where he's being made to wait for his moment mm. but i know that when he does get that moment he will be snatching it and taking it for everything it's worth absolutely he's a great in-ring talent um i love the way that he's able to integrate his background in gymnastics um into his wrestling um how he has a pretty good integration of that more classic cruiserweight style but also um you know the power moves as well he is um, and such... i would say especially uh, with people in his same you know like the same kind of pc classes that he came through mm. um things like just things like his ring awareness and um how he's able to work with other talent to do things like setting up for his finisher which does have a lot of startup yeah it, you know it, that it, it's it's so well combined together mm. he's had i mean for for the year that this whole pandemic era has been he's been he's been on such great form since starting out and that's 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 tried testament to the to the ring work that he does doing that when there's no audience there as well and still putting on fantastic yeah, matches no, with, and still with, getting with positive reaction yeah yeah like one of the most well-rounded modern day wrestlers i'd put that i i would definitely stake that claim and i feel like just you know a couple of more years down the line i think a lot more people will be talking about jake atlas for sure yeah no absolutely and i mean i see it i see a championship in his very soon in his very recent midst i wouldn't be surprised by it whether that's whether that's a tag title or if that's if that's a singles i'd probably put him in for the cruiserweight title man trilogy of takeover matches between him and kushida i think they work tremendously well together here for it um going on to um other lgbt wrestlers that i absolutely love uh tegan knox I mean, oh great. tegan knox my f- having some representation for the uk one LGBT of my team one if not my absolute favorite female wrestler in in wrestling today is tegan knox uh because i absolutely loved her work in the indies here in the uk she was she was head and shoulders above so many others in this country men included may i add yeah um and i just i i was so happy for her when she got the call up and when she got signed which and it breaks my heart even more that she's had such terrible luck um when it's come to injury recurring injury but when she when she comes back and when she does wrestle and when she's done that she fires on all cylinders and Man, I've loved her. I loved her story with with Dakota Kai. Absolutely yeah. loved that. She's so so good, and I'm just like, oh man, if only you people, if only everyone 
that's watching just knows. Oh, it's, Sam, it's Sam cutting a you people promo. <laughs> you people. If only you people know. <laughs> you know. You've just only seen 1% of her true power because she is Captain Marvel after all. Yes, yep. that is true. That is true. <laughs> no, she's so good. Um, it's, and also her frame kind of freaks me out because she looks like someone I, she looks like someone I could just meet on the street and yet she's so strong. And she's got one of the best shining wizards in wrestling today. Yes, I, said, yes, I said that, Gregory Hill. The girl with the shiniest wizard. Yep. Okay, but like, let's be real though, right? Because I've had this discussion with my friends before, right? There are two <laughs> schools of the shining wizard. Yes. There's the American school and there's the Japanese school. Yes. Yes, agreed. agreed. Gregory Helms has the best American shining wizard. Yeah. Right. Oh. We'll, we'll say that. Yeah. I'd go as far as to say that. That makes sense. The American Shining Wizard is basically an enziguri where your opponent's laying on the ground. The <laughs> Japanese Shining Wizard is uh, face meets knee. Mm. At mm. force. <laughs> with, with excessive force, may I add. <laughs> Eiji Muto says your nose will now disappear. <laughs> <laughs> yes! <laughs> Oh man! Oh man! Still going down my uh, list. Um, just one of the ahead. people I want to talk about. Another one of my favourite female um, competitors who's now unfortunately retired, but she had a very short and awesome career, and that's freaking Chris Wolf. I love Chris uh, Wolf so yeah. much. Yeah, the Wolf Girl, <laughs> the, who wrestled barefoot with just the most eccentric person in all of wrestling, but the most Ooh, beloved. My. For some reason, when you initially said that, you said Chris, and I was like, Statlander, and I was like, that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, Chris Statlander's an alien. Chris Statlander is an alien. <laughs> no, Chris Wolf, one of my favourites in, uh, in 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 Eve at the time, uh, and just absolutely killed it in Japan. She, she was an English teacher in Japan, saw what they were doing in stardom, and thought, I could have a go at that, got trained by Io Shirai, and then soon enough had a couple of year career where she became champion, so... Fair play to Chris Wolf for doing that. And no, uh, yeah. one of my fav- my faves in Japan and just one of my faves to watch in Pro Wrestling Eve as well. Yeah, are you shouting out um you shouting out Eve? Um because I'll remember seeing her at an Eve show very so vividly. Um Piper Kinney. Yes. Yes. Under-recognized. So fucking cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh man um t- talking of eve as well i can't mention i can't not mention charlie morgan as well charlie morgan yeah charlie morgan was great i've seen her so many times uh when i went to to a load of uh, eve shows and a couple of progress shows as well so fucking good t- too damn good <laughs> as a matter of fact it's again yeah. it's a shame she she has retired but you know what you know if if you had done what you had set out to do which she had done by the time you were 29 can't blame her one bit for doing that yeah not in the slightest she's um, fine oh gosh um of course let's not forget that like two of the most famous women right now in wwe Shayna baszler and sonia deville yep Absolutely, oh, yeah, it's true. absolutely killing it at the moment. Well, I say that Shane is killing it. It's just a shame that Creative's not doing it for her. Yeah, the more things change. Shayna Baszler is great. 
Shade of Creative for her right now. Maybe not. Uh, so yeah, she, she's she's fighting a doll now. <laughs> That's when you know. That's when you know you're down, aren't you? Sonia Deville as well. Just the 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 way she's able to pull off a suit better than most men in that company is just incredible. Well, let's be real, right? WWE and Suits has had again had a checkered history. <laughs> I'm looking at you. Every pro, every wrestler did a promo in a suit in the mid 2000s. <laughs> what? Even Dave Batista? Yeah, they it was didn't... still even with Batista, they were way too baggy. That was yeah, they need to. They, they, uh, it's amazing how they have some of the best tailors on hand, and yet they just cannot get suits right. To a them man had level. suits that were definitely two sizes too big. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's what made ripping them off easier. That is true. <laughs> did. Maybe. Maybe. But still, <laughs> like, come on. To walk out of the suit, though. That, that's it. That's it. We got we got the Rock doing that when he was the the Rock Obama during the Saturday Night Live skits. That is true. <laughs> um, um, go on, Dad. Go on, Dad. Oh, I was going to say, if you want to keep listing people off, then keep listing people off. I'll keep listing people off. Um, I'll name two of my absolute faves right now. Um, both two both uh, trans wrestlers, both mm-hmm. killing it in uh, their respective scenes right now. Uh, one being um, Edith Surreal. Yes, absolutely still life. Um, she's amazing. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend her series on IWTV. Yes, no, um, I do as well. Yeah, which talks about um, her experience, uh, aspects of being a wrestler while actively transitioning Mm. oh wow Uh, but also just kind of how her experience is informed um her character yeah um and drawing everything together in this kind of artist scope and drawing all the inherent art comparisons between that but um she's amazing Mm. um had a absolute burner of a match against Lee Moriarty earlier this year. Oh, that was such a good match. <laughs> that was such a good match. It was, a, it was an Iron Man match, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Or if it was, it had a 60-minute time limit, I know that. <laughs> I think that match maybe solidified like just how incredible those two are, and I think that may have bumped Lee Moriarty up to number three in my top wrestlers of the year. Yeah, but now... Uh... Lee Moriarty's now with MLW. Yep. So um, he, he was picked up. He was picked up in the MLW draft, and um, again, yeah, he, I mean, we're we're all sidetracked here with Lee Moriarty, <laughs> but he also had that um, absolute killer match with Wheeler Yuta mm. for the IWTV title. Yeah. Um, Edith Surreal, amazing. Um, and then also, um, Venny, also known as Oscar. Yes. Where you are. Um, I mean, what I said about the Japanese wrestling scene, it's uh, Venny was um, the champion for Wave. Yeah. Uh, and I believe they were also champion for another promotion. I can't remember who. I know Scotch will absolutely kill me for not remembering. Um, <laughs> I believe it might. I want to say it was in Gambare, but. I want to um, say that as well, yeah, but I'm pretty I think wrong. they were a champion in Gambari Pro, but um, I mean, hell, having I mean, also performing on um, the uh, Hanukkah Mural Show. Yes. 
um, and absolutely killing it there, and just more people being able to see them. I think they made an appearance in Sudoringo as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, they're one of the hottest prospects in Japan right now. Yeah, she's uh, she's is like way way like damn good and she deserves to be up there in in the top names of like joshi wrestlers you should be looking at right now oh absolutely absolutely um ah it was seed linning actually yeah there we go that's the one uh, I, was, I was wondering I was like, which one was it and no, I had to look I had to look. <laughs> no she also if memory serves me correct was in the Japanese bracket for the uh, AEW yep. world bracket AEW women's eliminator yeah uh, oh, just so so freaking good uh, Nyla Rose as well talking of AEW yep. Nyla Rose Nyla Rose yep. absolutely killed it in her run as AEW Women's Champion, for sure. I don't know a lot of people, I'm not going to name names, Mr. JC, had a problem with her being Women's Champion. But... <laughs> of course, Sunny Kiss as well, we're talking about AEW. Um, oh, Sunny Kiss is such a great, reliable worker, and uh, he's been having great matches um, with so many people. A great tag team with Joey Janela as well. <laughs> Um, one of my, I guess, uh, going through here, one of my absolute favourites of the past several years is Mercedes Martinez. Yep, Mercedes Martinez. We've talked, we've talked to death about how good Mercedes Martinez is. I mean, the thing is, though, is she's one of those people that she's been around, she's done it, and got the awards to show it. Yeah, gosh, here, there, and everywhere from flipping... Wow, gosh, where do I say from flipping Shimmer to to, to WWE to eight to little stint in AEW, just like yeah, she's 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 earned her place as an absolute legend. To be fair, it is a thing that's worth saying. It's worth companies like Shimmer and Eve have been so important in their respective scenes for helping drive through Yeah LGBT um, talent. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I'm just trying to think if there's any other ones I could think of off the top of my head. I did have a list, a massive list at the start, but Piper Niven, I be- yes, Piper Niven um, recently yeah, came out as bi- bisexual. I don't care what people say. Like, um, I know a lot of people think she's not good. No, honestly, she's one of the she's one of the best in NXT UK, um, yeah. and definitely was one of the best in the UK scene. So no, don't don't sleep on Piper Niven. She is so so freaking good. Um, Vader Scott recently came out as well, didn't she? Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, another terrific wrestler. Um, um, if people want a wrestler they should be watching that they aren't watching right now, Ashton Starr. Yes. Yes. Ashton Starr's pretty damn great. Um, who else do I have on my list? Uh, Anthony Bowens as well. Um, yeah, Anthony Bowens. Uh, we yeah. Uh, of course, the one and only. We've already mentioned them already. Stirdust, Mr. Jim's, uh, Mr. Mrs. I should say, Jim Stephanie Sterling. Yeah, yeah. I forget. I I can't believe they just became a wrestler. <laughs> Straight up. This is the way you should do it. And of course, I want to end. And I feel this might be a good bookmark to end on talking about this wrestler. The one, the only. Gay icon himself, Effie. 
Effie lives. Effie seriously has gone from strength to strength over these past couple of years. It's so freaking good, amazing to see. It's amazing to listen to Effie's story. Yes. And get a full idea of, like, the the journey that he's gone through. And, man, I mean, it deserves it. It does deserve an episode of its own because, God, it's so many ups and downs and trials and tribulations. But the man, through sheer persistence, just kept going and has made it work. And, gosh, he's... He's probably he is probably the most popular LGBT wrestler in the indie scene right now. Yeah. I think the thing is with Effie is that as much as he might maybe try and shy away from it, or I mean, at least I haven't really seen him act this way about it. But he has been so influential to. Uh, how do I phrase this? To independent wrestling becoming queer friendly, yeah. Without whether or not question. that is through shows like Big Gay Brunch, whether or not that's through other shows that IWTV are doing, and whether or not that's just him just being like, "No, I'll, I'll go up to bat for any LGBT wrestler and get them a spot." Exactly. Exactly. Not least, not least of the stories as well of him talking about how he'd be a face when he would do shows in like New York and he'd go do a show in Alabama and be the number one heel. Yeah. <sighs> also, he has a terrific line in leather jacket. I mean, I just want to make that yeah. abundantly clear. And this man has had classics against Nick fucking Gage. Nick fucking Gage. <laughs> The man and stakes his as we, claim. As, we, as we've been here and said, Nick Gage did in fact say trans rights. Yes, he did. He absolutely did. <laughs> no, I think it's it, it just to spearhead so much positivity for LGBT rights in the wrestling space when it has been, and we've gone through a little bit of the history of some of the personalities, so damn problematic. Such a fucking awesome thing to see. And uh, as I said at the top of this episode, he's going to be a fantastic booker when he gets the chance oh, to, uh, when he gets the chance, when he hangs up the boots and the, uh, and the net tights and gets a chance to actually pen some shows. He's going to be great. Oh, yeah. I'm still, I'm still, I'm still looking forward though to the Effie versus Razor Ramon hard game match that will eventually happen. <laughs> One day we will get it. <laughs> it was supposed to be last year, damn it, Reardon, and just it never like, happened. Just like we had Minoru Suzuki versus Orange Cassidy stolen from us by 2020. Ah, <laughs> <sighs> oh, could you imagine that though? F- oh, all right, no, I want to make that next. All right, Big Gay Brunch 2023, Effie versus Minoru Suzuki. Good Tell God. me you d- you wouldn't want to see Good that. Good God in heaven. <laughs> so it is fair to say, in conclusion to all of this, the mood, the vibe, the thoughts of LGBT uh, people in professional wrestling has radically changed since. Well, well, it, it's. I think the shock is is that it never really changed until at least twenty ten. Yeah, it's literally. 
like it is literally just been over a decade. That is <laughs> astounding. I mean, it, it it really does seem like the moment, the moment, like the moment gay marriage was ratified in the Supreme Court, it was like all bets were off. <laughs> yeah, it really does feel that way. <laughs> no, it's, and mm. yeah, and and we see that more with like with more um, with a bigger focus being on trans rights now. We seeing it's just, it seems to be kind of. Um, matching the matching the current speed and and like and challenges that the LGBT community worldwide has right yeah. now you can see it being replicated in wrestling of which is a strange place to see it but it is true Abs- absolutely while absolutely we, while we are fighting in court we are fighting in the ring yes <laughs> it's quite poetic really isn't it yeah Life imitates art, and art imitates life. <laughs> but you know, with all that being said, it is it's it is still a constant hard battle for everyone in in the community. And I just feel like with these with these guys and gals and non-binary pals in that ring, shed, uh, sharing and shining a, such a positive spotlight, it's such an important thing. And I feel like I'm so happy that people have become more have become more accepting of LGBT people in wrestling. And as a matter of fact, being the some sometimes the most over people in a company. Mm. So freaking cool. So that about wraps up this episode all about LGBTQIA plus in professional wrestling. Thoughts and feelings, gents. So many ways to go. So many places to go. So much work that needs to be done, but it is being done. <laughs> Yeah, it's like that. We're in the middle of a very, very long road, and yeah. there's still a long, long way to go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. But we got the, we've got the car started again. Thank God, thank God. And I know a lot of people want to stall that car, but yeah, I know. I'm gonna be a persistent some bitch, and I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna bump start that car if it kills me. <laughs> Especially in professional wrestling, damn it. <laughs> Alrighty, so that has been an absolutely fun one. It's been an absolute pleasure to be uh, to, to research that one. Um, not at the beginning, may I add. That wasn't that wasn't so much of a pleasure as oh god, why is this happening? But a pleasure that I got to the end part for for sure. <laughs> so as I said, good thing we book noted the end of this episode with Effie because our next episode, funnily enough is the history of hardcore wrestling <laughs> we're what is be... more prideful than hardcore wrestling we're gonna look, be... right people are gonna be here and they're gonna say what does that mean <laughs> or why are we talking about this and the reason for that is that um through whatever virtue and whatever path the in a very kind of weird and somewhat roundabout way one of the first places that lgbt plus talent got on the independent wrestling scene was actually the deathmatch scene <laughs> yeah absolutely You'd... and it was a way for quite a few of them to get noticed yeah 
and 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 boy, uh, quite a, some noble names did get noticed through the hardcore and deathmatch scene. So. I'm really looking forward to this one. I get to talk about kind of the early days of the dingy backs, uh, back alleys of wrestling. Um, uh, so it's kind of like talking about the Sheik as well um, and how he influenced so many other wrestlers, including his uh, his cousin, uh, his nephew, I should say, Sabu uh, and Rob Van Dam, all the way to kind of like modern day deathmatch wrestling. And of course, no fucking goats! That man... <laughs> MDK, God, MDK. But no, <laughs> until then, this has been such a rainbow-filled episode, and I've loved every single second of it. <laughs> I am Sam. This has been Dan and Reardon, and this has been a very gay, sweet chinwag podcast. We will see you as ever over the rainbow. Bye, everyone. Be proud and do so much crimes.